Hello, hello, everybody. It is the greatest time of the year. That's right. It's my birthday month. But also, it happens to be the month of Christmas, and that means lots and lots of present shopping. Now, this is a tough time of the year for a lot of people because it can be hard to find gifts. But don't worry, guys. I've got you covered. Let's get into it. Greetings and welcome back to the Bardic Inquisition, everybody. It is I, your host, Vince. And hey, it's that time of the year. As I mentioned in the intro, it's Christmas present shopping season, and this can be a tough time for a lot of people because A, you probably have a lot of people in your family, and B, I mean, you just don't know what anybody wants nowadays because uh, a lot of times people just Whatever they want, they'll just buy it off of Amazon. But don't worry, guys, I've got some ideas. You know, as it turns out, board games happen to make really great gifts. And I personally love board games, and board games are what I know. So, hey, that's what I'm going to talk about today, my top ten board games. And maybe you can use some of these as ideas for presents for the, uh, for the gamer in your life. So... Let's get right into it. But first, before I do that, I wanted to address the elephant in the room. And that is the colossal amount of support that I get from my patrons. That's right, guys. Thank you again to Jennifer Schaefer for donating on the Patreon. Remember, guys, if you want to get in on this action, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash bardicinquisition. And hey, if you want to pitch in a couple of bucks per month, you know, you too can help keep this show alive and well. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get into that list. Alright, alright, before I get actually started, I wanted to first mention that this list is not in any particular order, it's just the list that I happen to remember things in and write them down, so this is not necessarily a top 10, number 10 isn't the worst, number 1 isn't the best, but all 10 of these games should be pretty good gifts, even if the person that you're getting them for isn't, like, a huge board gamer or anything. If they have any interest in board games whatsoever, they'll probably enjoy any one of these. Number 1. Catan. That's right, guys. Settlers of Catan. I had an episode on this uh, just last week, and I stand by it. It's a really good board game. And something that I forgot to mention last week was that you can actually get on Etsy these 3D printed tiles for the game of Catan. And it's really great because it just adds this extra layer 
of immersion and awesomeness to the board game. Just having those 3D pieces that you can stick the numbers on and it just feels like actual terrain. I personally love this. So, why do I say that Catan is a great board game? Well, A, like all of the board games on this list, it makes a really good intro to board gaming game, and there's a very nice social aspect to it that I just adore. And of course, uh, what may be the biggest seller for some people is you get these little wooden houses and little wooden roads that you can kind of play around with when it's not your turn. <laughs> Number two, Cards Against Humanity. This one is straightforward, and actually the gameplay itself is also really straightforward. You basically just flip the top card of the black deck every single turn, and these are just questions or fill-in-the-blank statements. And then everyone has like 10 white cards, which are just random answers, and you just play one or more of those cards to answer the question or fill in the blanks of the black card. And one of the biggest selling points of this game is that, especially if the person that you are getting it for has a really good sense of humor, some of these answers and questions are hilarious. And uh, I have to warn you, this game can get a little bit inappropriate. So if your person that you're buying this for is a little bit sensitive to certain subjects, maybe don't get them this game, or maybe consider getting them the family version of this game, which is, you know, more appropriate, but still, as far as I've heard, almost as or equally as funny. Number three, Carcassonne. This little beauty is a tile placement game, and the whole point is just to rack up as many points as you can by either completing roads with your tiles, or completing city walls, there are quite a few ways to get points. But the turns themselves are quite simple. You just draw a random tile, place that tile somewhere next to another tile, and then you can place a little wooden piece called a meeple on one of the tiles in a, in a specific spot, either in a city or on a road. But yeah, like I mentioned, it's pretty straightforward, and it's fun because you get to see how big you can make your cities or how long you can make your roads there's you know not much to it but there is at the same time and it's one you can play with your kids number four maki koro this one is a little bit like Catan in that there's some dice rolling involved you see every turn you roll one or two dice and depending on what you get on the roll those businesses generate money and what you're doing is, essentially, you're trying to build a city. And everyone starts out with these same two businesses. You get a bakery and a, a farm or some other business. I can't quite remember. But the final goal is to get enough money to be the first player to flip over your four major attractions and therefore have the best city. And a lot of the fun from this game comes from the fact that some of the businesses that you buy generate resources whenever anybody rolls them. Some only generate when you roll them, and then some only generate when your opponents roll those numbers. So it's really interesting. There's this fun little dynamic of, oh, do I want another blue business? Because, you know, if anybody rolls a two, I could get some money. Or do I want a green business? Because if I roll a three, I get a lot of money. 
It's a really cool and interesting dynamic, and it's just a fun game all around. And like a lot of these, this is one that your kids can play because it is not a very hard game to pick up at all. Number 5. Splendor. This one is another straightforward game. You basically want to be the first one to get a certain number of points, and you do this by buying these gem cards and getting these rich nobles to visit you. You see in the game of Splendor, there are five types of colored gems and then one type of gem that's basically a wild card. And every turn, you can either take one from up to three different types of gems that are not the wild gem, or you can take two of one type of gem, or you can take a wild gem, and you use these to buy the gem cards. And when you buy the gem cards, a lot of those, in fact, all of those, count towards your gem count so that you can buy more of the gem cards later. And there are different tiers of the gem cards. There are little cheap ones that you're going to be buying when you first start the game, but then later on, you can make your way up to more expensive gems using the gem cards that you bought earlier in the game. So there's this really interesting feeling of ramping up from, like, nothing to being filthy rich. And by the end of the game, you've got a bunch of gem cards and you've got, ideally, a bunch of the nobles that visited you because you were the first one to have say, four blue gems and four green gems and, like, four white gems. It's a really fun game. It's not very complicated, but it's super fun. Number six, Small World. This is the game that I call Better Risk. So, basically, like Risk, you have a map and you have units that you move around across the map. And these units can be halflings, or merfolk, or dwarves. There's a whole bunch of different races, and the cool part about it is when you first start, you're going to take over play as one of the races, and each of these races is gonna have a different random trait next to them and that actually affects some of the cool things that the race can do and then on top of that you don't resume play as the same race from start to finish so for example if you start out as you know giants and things don't quite work out well maybe next time you pick up the lizard people like i said it's a lot like risk except it's a little bit less die rolly and more actual tactical, which is what I love about the game. And this is actually one of the first ones besides, you know, Cards Against Humanity, that I will say do not play with your kids unless they are maybe a little bit older, just simply because this one's a bit more complex than the ones that I've suggested so far. Number 7, The Great Dalmudi. Now, this one kind of like Cards Against Humanity, is not really a board game as much as it is a card game. The goal in the Great Dalmudi is to be the first person each round to empty your hand. You see, in the deck itself, there are cards valued from 13 to 1, and whatever the number is, there are that many of that card in the deck. So 13s are basically considered garbage, whereas the 1-1 one, one is a hot commodity. 
So starting off each round, somebody will lay down as many 13s as they possibly can. And then the next person either has to match that number of 13s or play a card that is a lower value, like a 12. And if that person ends up playing a 12, then the person after that cannot play 13s this round. They have to wait and play 12s or... If they can't play the same amount or more 12s, then they have to move down to 11, and then they're stuck with whatever 13s and 12s they have in their hand for that round. And yeah, the whole round proceeds this way until it reaches the point where nobody else can play any cards. And then whoever was the last person to play a card is now the person that starts the next round. And they typically will play whatever the highest monetary value card is that they have still, and then the turns will proceed the same direction. And again, just like last round, whoever plays a card last will get to be the person that starts the next round. And then this is where things get interesting, because the first person to empty their hand becomes the great Dal Moody. The next person becomes the lesser Dal Moody, and then the last two people to play their hands out become the lesser peon and the greater peon, which is technically considered worse than the lesser peon. Now, if you have more than four players, and the great thing about this game is that you can have basically any number of players with the limitation of there are only so many cards in the deck, but anybody that's in the middle is considered a merchant. And there are some fun rules about, like, the greater peon is the one that has to shuffle all the cards and deal them out to everybody. And at the beginning of each hand, the peons have to trade their best cards to the Dalmudis. It's really cool, and it's really fun, and it's just a great party game if you have a lot of people coming over. Oh, and as a final note, you are encouraged by the rules to make the greater Dalmudis, uh, like, seating situation better, and the peons seating situation, like, worse than everybody else's. You obviously don't have to do this, but if you choose to, it can be pretty funny. Number 8. Sheriff of Nottingham. Let me just say that I love this game so much. It is a very interesting mix between a party game and an actual strategy game just because the amount of bluffing and social deduction involved. Each round, players take turns being the Sheriff of Nottingham and the game ends when each person has been the Sheriff twice. So basically, everybody has a hand of cards and in this hand of cards, there are goods. Some of the goods are legal, and some of the goods are not legal. What you do is, as the player who's not the sheriff, is you'll take a certain number of cards, you'll stick them in a little baggie, and you'll declare to the sheriff, I have four apples, for example, in this bag. Now, at that point, once everybody has done this, stuck their cards in their bag, and presented for the sheriff, they can choose to put a bribe on the bag or to not bribe the bag. And it's up to the sheriff to determine which bags they want to open and which bags they don't. If the sheriff believes you and does not open your bag or just accepts your bribe, then they give the bag to you and they take the bribe, whatever bribe is on there, and you're good. You get whatever goods you stuck in the bag uh, underneath your card. You snuck them into town, more or less, if they are, you know, not legal. And then, 
if the sheriff decides to check your bag, well, if you were lying, any goods that you did not declare, and you can only declare illegal goods, you have to pay the sheriff a certain amount for. And any goods that you did declare correctly just go into your stockpile. You got them into town successfully, the sheriff said you can keep them. If the sheriff checks your bag and you were being entirely honest, the sheriff has to pay you. So there's this interesting dynamic of are you bluffing and trying to sneak illegal goods into town or are you being honest and just playing the game straight or are you trying to make me believe that you have illegal goods but you actually just have the goods that you declared. So, like I said, a lot of bluffing involved, and that is why I love this game so much. Unfortunately, you can only play with, I think, five players, but it's a really good game if you have a household that is, you know, not particularly large, and it's super duper fun. It's a great, uh, I consider it party game, although it's got a little bit more complexity than something like Cards Against Humanity. Number nine. Ticket to Ride Do you or someone you know really love trains? Because if you do, you're in luck. This game is all about them. In fact, the entire goal of this game is to get points by basically connecting train routes from city to city all across the United States and Canada. You see, you start out the game with these kind of larger goal cards and you end up trying to work your way towards them because at the end of the game, if you have any cards left that you did not complete, you get negative points. So you don't want that. So you'll stick with the, the routes that you have and you'll try to connect different cities that are like further away to each other via whatever routes you can make around the map. So all that said, this game is a solid 10 out of 10. But one of the things that I really enjoy about it is that if you already have the base game of Ticket to Ride, there are actually several different versions, one of them being Ticket to Ride Nordic Countries. I really just like this one because around Christmas time, you can pull it out and play on a nice snow-covered map. And it just, you know, it helps with the, with the feeling of Christmas, I guess. Number 1. Dominion. Okay, guys, I said that I wasn't going to do this in a particular order, but I had to save my favorite for last. I'm sorry. <laughs> Dominion is, again, like two of the other options I listed earlier, more of a card game than it is a board game. But it comes in a big board game box, and you do actually have a little bitty trash board. So it's kind of a board game. Anyways, the point is... You start off the game with a small deck of 10 cards, 7 coins, and 3 victory points. The point of the game is to get the most point cards in your deck. You do this by buying them with coin cards. But it's a bit more complex than that because you can use these coin cards not just to buy victory cards, but you can also use them to buy action cards, which you used to do things like draw more cards, or make your opponent discard cards, or trash cards to get different cards. There are a lot of different cards that do different things, and it really ends up leading to this feeling of, you know, starting with kind of a crappy deck and then ending up with this ideally well-tuned engine. And that's just the gameplay. 
The cool part about Dominion is that even within just the base game, no game will ever be the same because each time you play, you pull out 10 different stacks of cards, except for, you know, the coins and the victory points. And looking at the base game itself, it actually looks like there are 25 different kinds of action cards you can pull from. And this can lead to a lot of variety and, in turn, replayability. That being said, I have, I think, six or seven expansions to this game, so it's really got a lot of replayability in my case. But that is the list. Guys, if you like any of these board games, consider picking them up. Now, I will admit that a lot of these range from about $40 to $60, but these are great board games and you will probably have them, or whoever you give them to if it's a gift, will probably have them for a long time. With all that said, let us move into the outro and get you guys out of here for the night. So you made it to the end. Congratulations and also thanks for listening. Again, if you guys want to donate to the show, consider doing so at patreon.com slash bardic inquisition. And hey, if you have any questions or comments for the show, go ahead and feel free to send them to bardic inquisition at yahoo.com. Again, I check my emails pretty frequently, so I'll probably get it within that day and I will do my best to respond as quickly as possible. But that is all I've got. Thank you again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of the Bardic Inquisition, and hey, go buy some board games. <laughs>